Feeling overwhelmed and frustrated by the obstacles you face? Well, you're not alone. The Resiliency Ninja is here to help. Allison Graham is a speaker, author, and business coach. But most importantly, she's on a mission to give you tools to succeed in times when it feels like life sucks. Now, here's your host, Allison Graham. Welcome back to the Resiliency Ninja podcast, where we uncover stories of stress, obstacles, and adversity behind the success story. I'm your host, Allison Graham, and I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at r-ninja.com. And of course, all of the social media outlets where I hang out are listed in the show notes, not only for me, but for today's guest, who I know you are going to want to follow. Uh, You are going to love this show. Deb Gabor is on with us, and she is the president and CEO of Soul Marketing. And so the neat thing about Deb, there's so many fun things, but she has a branding book and you guaranteed have heard about branding if you're in business but never in the way that Deb shares it. Her book is called Branding is Sex. Now, I'm not sure how how the sex is for people out there but we got to uncover what that means. So welcome to the show, Deb. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's great because I look at you and I know you've got your, you know, Deb's brand values pyramid and the ideal customer archetype and all of these great formulas that you serve your clients through. And you've worked with huge companies. Oh, yeah. Microsoft, NBC, Universal, like all of this. And I have to imagine that there are stories of resilience behind the success story that you live. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the trials and tribulations of working with gigantic clients is sometimes for a small organization like mine, developing over-reliance on a single client. And we had a situation, actually, this is the, the reality of my life and what I'm dealing with in my business today, is the fact that we had, we had one client, a huge multinational corporation, you know, a Fortune 100 company, we were doing a ton of work for all over their business. And I felt like we were really safe there. And as a client, that one company represented over for one year, over 70% of our revenue, um, which like anybody who works in a services business like mine should like draw in a real strong breath right now and panic for me because, um, you know, that company went through a lot of changes where they were trying, you know, they were trying to set strategy. They were trying to decide whether they wanted to take this public company private. They went through a major acquisition merger, several divestitures of different lines of business. And as a result, our business tanked and, you know, went down and I'm in the process of clawing my way back up the business ladder to like really rebuild those revenues. I mean, we're, we're stable and healthy as an organization today, but like, wow, did my confidence take a big hit when that happened? And then, you know, I woke up one morning and and had this, like, what the actual, what the actual bleep moment where I was like, how did I let this happen? Um, was I asleep at the wheel? Like, what was going on? I was busy just like sitting back, collecting revenue and, and making margins and paying people lots of money and, and living on, you know, living fat. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I saw that our business just had, it. it's not like the business declined, but it just stayed flat for several years as a result. And so um, that's kind of my most recent story of resilience behind a a business failure. But yeah, I live it all day, every day as an entrepreneur. I've been doing this on my own 
with my own company for more than 15 years. And so every day brings a new trial and it, and you know, thankfully it also brings a lot of great successes and celebrations, but uh, it, it never stops. It, it doesn't. And do you find that other entrepreneurs might look at you and if they didn't hear, like you're authentically sharing this story of a shit storm that's going on in your life right now, right? <laughs> and I appreciate you doing that. And by the way, just the sidebar, I want to tell you the very first Resiliency Ninja podcast episode was with Kimberly Clark, who owns a company and she lost her major client 80% of her revenue year over year, exactly the same situation that you're in right now and ended up rising stronger a year and a half later with even more revenue. So that might be somebody I'll connect you with uh, just to, to be able to say, how did you grow from that? Um, it's just because it's so interesting that you're having the exact same story that she just came out the other side of. Well, and I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to come out the other side, like really successfully, it, you know, all indications are, all indications are a go. I mean, I, I actually feel some days I actually feel, I feel like I know what I'm doing, but um, it got to the point with that particular, <laughs> Maybe you, know, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, and, you know, from time to time, I'm like, uh, how did, how did I get a company? Like, how did this happen? How have I been doing this successfully and consistently for 15 years and, you know, doing it mostly on an ups an upswing, you know, how have I not lost it all? But um, it got to, it got to a point in the business where I saw it, it wasn't that the business was shrinking. It just wasn't growing. And business to me is not fun unless it's growing. It's just not exciting and interesting. And I needed to fall in love with my business again. And it got to the point where I needed to bring in outside help. And we actually recently have secured coaching for our entire team. We have hired accountability coaching and we're using the Rockefeller habits. Oh, beautiful. Uh, and, yeah. EO? Are you in EO? I am in EO, yes. I've been an EO member for seven years, and um, I love it. And so, yeah, you know, we have, we've brought in accountability coaching to the team. We've brought in all of the systems and processes and the pulses and, um, you know, sort of overlaid overlaid uh, a layer of accountability that just wasn't here and accountability and alignment I'll say mm -hmm. that's like really taking the company in the right direction and um, I, I think it was probably this is probably a Vern Harnish quote if if it's not then I'm just going to attribute to him because he says so many wonderful pithy platitudes that are so meaningful to me um, but you know if you aim at nothing you'll hit it with amazing accuracy 100% <laughs> of the time and so bringing in accountability bringing in a vision, a mission, um, really making sure that we tie everything back to core values and holding people's feet to the fire for performance against metrics on delivering on the mission and vision is something that really uh, I'm very, very optimistic about. But yeah, I mean, you know, watching your business kind of peter out is it can be it can be sad it can be frustrating and for me uh, it was really disheartening and it put me in a position where I actually had sort of fallen out of love with my business and fallen out of love with my company and um, now I have like a reinvigorated sense of of fun and excitement and and frankly curiosity about the company which is so important to want to put, like you need that motivation to be able to actually grow the company again. Like it's so hard to go to work every day. I know I've been there when I fell out of love with my company and it's, it's a painful place to be. Like, oh, it is. Nothing is fun. No, nothing is fun. And then the other thing is it's like entrepreneurship is, uh, it's very lonely for the entrepreneur, right? I, I legit, straight up have no peers inside of my company. 
right? Nobody loves this business as much as I do. Nobody has as much responsibility for it. As an entrepreneur, we often forget that we are the most vital and, and most important, best performing employee of the business, but we don't treat ourselves like an employee. I don't know how many people who are listening to this podcast interview right now have experienced this, but you know, I'm always the last person to get paid. And if, you know, if things are tight and things are difficult, I was like leaving myself out. And in our last quarterly session with our with our uh, Rockefeller Habits coach, we did like a team appreciation thing where everybody, you know, got a couple slips of paper and they had to write a note of appreciation to someone else on the team. And then they stood up and read them to everybody. And, and nobody had written me a note of appreciation, which like, that's not why I do this. But we, you know, we forget and it's very lonely. And it's very isolating and very solitary. So in many cases as an entrepreneur, when things are not going the way you want them to, you're afraid to show other people vulnerably that like things are hard right now. Things are really difficult and I'm, and I'm trying really hard, um, but I'm keeping, I'm keeping on a good face for the rest of the team. And I'm, I'm just, you know, chugging along trying to make it work. And then, you know, we go home and, and drink an entire bottle of wine and, <laughs> cry into a bowl of cereal and call it good, you know? Yeah, by yourself. And it's it's like with the, like the team not thanking you or not appreciating you. And I know what you're saying. It's not like you're, you're looking for the pat on the back, but wow, I'm sure that was a very powerful moment when you realize that the team generally just has an expectation of the leader. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's not the same... Uh, and, and it's hard for them to understand. Like I know, uh, you know, people, entrepreneurial friends and, and we, we all go through this. I mean, I only have a virtual team. You have like a, a team, a pretty big sizable team based on your website mm-hmm. that you're, you're responsible for. Yeah, no, I have all, I have all these people that I'm responsible for. And then also, you know, by extension, I have responsibility for their families and their loved ones. And, you know, not only their immediate sort of like fulfilling their basic physiological and safety needs, making sure they have enough money, uh, you know, enough money so that they can put the food on the table and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, helping them ascend, you know, to the level of, of, uh, performance and self-actualization that they get through work. So, you know, there's just, you take on so much responsibility. And sometimes I forget that I've taken all that on until I'm going through something and then I hit a wall, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you've experienced that. And lots of people listening to this have experienced that where you're like, you're just going, 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 and you're shouldering all the responsibility and you don't even realize that you, you're carrying this gigantic backpack pack and people are dropping rocks into it to the point that you're like crawling on the ground with this rock filled backpack on. And then all of a sudden you just like run into a wall and you're like, what happened here? Right. And then for me, that, that usually, that usually is like a a huge wake up call that there's something going on. And so very recently when I, you know, I, I told you about the, this client that we were over reliant on where they represented more than 70% of our, of our revenue for a couple of years, I went and, and I was very self punishing. You know, I, I was like, how could I let this happen? How did this happen on my watch? What's wrong with you, Deb? You're smarter than this. You're educated, you're experienced, you know what you're doing. Like why, why were you asleep at the wheel? And I found that that behavior, that self punishing behavior wasn't, it wasn't healthy. It definitely wasn't productive and it wasn't moving us in the right direction. And then I did an analysis. I wanted to see like, okay, if I took this client 
out of the equation and I like went to my QuickBooks software and I did a bunch, you know, ran a bunch of spreadsheets and stuff. So if I took this client out of the business entirely and pre pretended that they didn't exist at all, would what would the business be doing? And what I saw was once I took this client out of the business, just hypothetically and said like, let's say I never had this client, what was the business doing? What I saw was net growth, right? Growth mm -hmm. in new clients and new accounts and new types of projects and new markets and new industries and all that kind of stuff. And I was able to like pick myself up and dust myself off and dump some of those proverbial rocks out of my backpack and, you know, give myself a kick in the ass. But, um, I had to do that alone. Like I didn't have anyone, I didn't have anybody else there. This is why entrepreneurship is so isolating. I didn't have anybody to reflect into my blind window and say, Hey Deb, have you thought about? So that's one of the things that just makes this business hard. So what I love about what you said, and I just want to like really put a staccato note on this for the listeners, because what I'm hearing from you is you got the internal messenger of bullshit, uh, <laughs> launched a personal attack ad at a presidential level. Yes. And uh, you started to believe it. And yes. so what I love though, and I don't know where this came to from you, like if it was just innate or if it was like hitting rock bottom, but you took the emotion out of it and you looked at the facts. Absolutely. And yeah. Think, the, the facts. Yeah. Sure. Because at the end of the day, you're right. You take that out. And I think, you know, we, we dramatize everything until you look at the actual numbers and here you were seeing growth. Like if you took that big client out, it's like, wow, there's a lot of good stuff going on here. Yeah. And so what, cause you're a member of EO and I should say for our listeners who aren't familiar with that terminology, it's entrepreneurs organization and it is, how would you describe it? Um, I, so the mission of the organization is to help, it's very simple, is to help entrepreneurs learn and grow. Um, and it really is kind of like an advisory group of peers, entrepreneur peers, um, who are the majority owners and founders of companies that make over a million dollars a year, uh, but they're of various sizes, right? You know, you have everybody from, you know, the, the $1 million all the way up to like, say, $30 million. You get this really rich opportunity to exchange ideas and learn about entrepreneurship and about business and about people and about personal lives and keeping it all together from this really, really pure point of view of sharing actual experiences. That's one of the main things that's a benefit of EO. So it's kind of, I'll call it like a professional development peer advisory group with like some social and lifestyle benefits associated with it. Fair I think enough. that's a yeah. I think, I think that's, that's great that's a good description. Yeah, um, yeah. I can't give enough plugs to having a network of peer mentors around you as an entrepreneur. Even if you don't qualify for EO, there you know you can you can probably find a, a local mastermind, or you can find a business a business networking organization that's specific to your industry, or you can find a couple of people that you just meet for coffee once a month and you share these things. But actually having someone there helps with this isolating feeling of having the entire weight of the world on your shoulders all the time that comes with being an entrepreneur. That's true. And actually for people who don't qualify for the million and over, there's EOA, which is Entrepreneurs Organization Accelerator. 
and uh, which I used to be a member of. And I can't remember if it's 250 or a half a million was the requirement, but I whatever think, it is. It's- yeah. The lower, the lower threshold is 250,000. Okay. Most chapters have an accelerator program. Um, and the goal of that, like the whole goal of that is like introducing education and accountability into your business to help you get up past the million dollar mark. There's something magical that happens to a business when they get over a million dollars in revenue, um, you know, that has to do with long-term sustainability and growth and, you know, the, the ability to, to provide for an entire company for a long period of time. So it, it's, it's pretty magical and I am a wholehearted supporter of, of pretty much everything EO does. Awesome. So, okay. So let's look at this because you were a member of EO before, as I understand it, before you went through the big dip. And so this is where it's like, cause they give you all that information and yet the Rockefeller habits, you weren't necessarily using them, the KPIs, the key performance indicators. So I'm not using jargon. Um, mm-hmm. You weren't necessarily using that before. Um, no, I wasn't. I was, I, I don't know why I was resistant to it. Maybe because I was afraid of it. I didn't know enough about it. Like I knew of it and was familiar with it because it is a methodology that is sort of preached all around, whether it's Rockefeller habits or it's EOS, which is entrepreneurial operating system, which, um, is based on the content in a book called traction, whatever it's, it's, all very, very similar. And a lot of the the best performing scaling businesses that I know were using, you know, these types of accountability and management systems within their organizations. I don't know why I thought I didn't need it. I was like, I'm doing fine on my own. I'm just clicking along, growing, 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 growing. Like, you know, at the beginning of my entrepreneurship career, I was just growing in spite of myself, you know. Um, And then uh, maybe I felt like, a, I didn't deserve it. B, I couldn't afford it. C, I would be found out that I didn't know what the actual freak I was doing, you know, <laughs> so that and that's imposter. why I didn't bring it in. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause it's the imposter syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. And we all go through it. And I think people don't believe that other people who look really successful go through it. Mm -hmm. It's so that's the imposter syndrome. I'll say like going all the way back to, you know, when did I join EO like 2010, something like that going all the way back then I will tell you like my biggest, my biggest point of relief was the fact that there were other people who were thinking the same thing that I was, which was a, I'm not worthy of this success. B, I don't know how I actually did this. C, I, I don't know if this is just like lightning in a bottle and I can never capture it again. And D, like, when am I going to just fall on my ass? Um, it was incredibly, um, uh, I'll say, like galvanizing to me and encouraging and empowering for me to understand that other people were going through exactly those same things. Even people who have $30 million a year businesses. Like I've, I've got a girlfriend who runs a $17 million a year construction company. Every conversation we have is like, I don't know what I'm actually doing here. And that knowing that other people were having those same conversations with themselves and with other people and then bringing that stuff out into the open, I will say was like the biggest thing behind helping me 
feel like every day that I actually can do this. Cause you know what? I got to say, there's a lot of people who are way more effed up than I am out there running very successful businesses. So, you know, if I can do it, if they can do it, like, so can you. So was that realization enough for you to power through it and to get that imposter syndrome under control? Or even if you don't get it under control, succeed in spite of it? Or so is it I, not to do something to get through it? Did I have to do something to get through it? I don't think that I actually had to do something to get through it because I'm like not to the other side of it. I literally wake up every morning thinking like, how am I going to fuck this up today? <laughs> um, and... <laughs> And people who have children probably can relate to this. It's the same feeling I have about my kid, right? <laughs> it, you know, it's like, all right, what am I going to do to like screw up this little human being now, right? <laughs> it ne I, I don't know. I feel like it never goes away. I will say, however, it keeps me on my toes, right? Okay. It keeps me on my toes. I, I w I told you I went to sleep for a couple of years like while my business was not going and in fact like we were kind of going in the wrong direction when you look at this one big client that we were over overly reliant on I went to sleep I sat back I didn't have imposter syndrome then I had like sit back and collect the money syndrome then and then you know it's it's really when I kicked myself into high gear and then I did look at the data and I looked at the metrics and and was able to analyze what actually happened um, that that I, you know, I kicked back into imposter syndrome where I was like, oh my God, can I ever recapture this? There was a point, uh, there was a point like, I don't know, maybe 18 months ago where I was thinking, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. I wrote this like very, very popular business book. I'm making great money traveling around the world, you know, talking to big groups of people and inspiring them with, you know, brand strategy and teaching them how to do it. And I'm writing for Fortune Magazine. I'm doing tons of interviews and TV and all that kind of stuff and whatever. I'm like, I could take a walk from this business, right? And um, I, you know, I, I decided to just like rededicate myself to, to making it the awesome thing that I know it can be. So I, I don't know if that makes any sense, it but that's kind of what happened. It absolutely makes sense. And actually I'm glad you brought up the media too, because you have done a lot of media and a lot of big media. I, have you ever had a time when you weren't when you didn't give a good interview or anything like embarrassed yourself, <laughs> like, I, I don't know, is anything <laughs> Maybe besides like, this one? No, no <laughs> this one's great. <laughs> I love this one. Uh, but did anything ever go wrong? You know, so I will say no. It, reason being, like in a past life, I was a publicist. Oh, I, in a, okay. well, in past lives, I've been both a publicist and a journalist. So I actually know how to give a good interview. I also, I also know that the interviews where I show up as me are the best ones. And, and that pretty much goes, that goes for everything, whether that's an interview, you know, a media interview, or that's me writing an op-ed for a publication, or that's me having a new business conversation with a potential client, when I show up as me uh, with all of the warts and everything is when things seem to go best. And um, that's, been, that's been a huge learning for me 
is is the idea that that people are bringing me around them because they want me they don't want some sanitized version of me they want me to show up as me so um, I haven't had any bad interviews I've had lots of clients who gave bad interviews that's for sure despite the great training I gave them um, one of the main reasons why I'm not a publicist anymore uh, but yeah no I've, I've not had that problem because I I hate to say it I know how to game the system I speak in sound bites Right. And so you have that figured out. Is it, it must be though frustrating, not necessarily when you're a publicist, but even now with your branding, not just like how you said you were resistant to a, a formula that you knew that could work for you. Uh, do you ever find your clients are tied to the brand that you're trying to take them, like help mold into a more effective brand? And they're like, no, no, no. I, I love what I'm doing. <laughs> I love the way I'm doing it. Don't you mess know, with that's- me. Yeah, so um, that's that's a really excellent question. I used to work with people like that. Now I can pick and choose and not work with people like that. It actually says, like, if you go to the Soul Marketing webpage, soulmarketing.com, I think the headline still reads, nobody loves your brand as much as you do. We can change that. Um, the, I... I am able, I've gotten to a point in the business where we can put a velvet rope around what we do, where I can actually go and sit in front of a potential client and I can, I can ask them the question of like, how hard are you willing to try or how far are you willing to go to actually create success for your business through branding? Brand strategy is hard. I've never been through an experience with a client where there hasn't been some form of bloodshed, meaning people leave or people are asked to leave or you stop doing doing stuff that you used to be in love with that were sacred cows for your business, et cetera. And I asked them, are you willing to do the hard work? It's actually one of our core values as an organization. We do hard things. I have to work with companies that are willing to do hard things. And so I'll say at least in the last five years, I've been able to screen out organizations who didn't want and couldn't accept our help. And now, you know, it's actually part of our new business like screening process where like I put out there, I'm like, all right, sounds like you have big goals. You need to take a big swing to, you know, hit for the fences. How hard are you willing to work for that? Because here's what's going to happen. And typically here's what does happen. Um, You know, what's your stomach for strategy? And if they say, you know what, I'd rather just like, you know, place an order and have it done for me, then I say, you know what, we have a solution for that. And that's not us. Let me refer you to someone else who would be a good fit. Right. And sometimes you're defined as much by what you walk away from as what you take. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and as an entrepreneur early in my career and early in my business, I was very opportunistic, meaning I said yes to a lot of stuff. And I built this business on saying yes. It's another one of our core values. It's the core value of yes. And we say yes to as many things as we possibly can. And even when we say no, we say it in a yes and kind of way. Um, but, you know, it was very opportunistic. And then all of a sudden, I, I was dealing with uh, a collection of, I'll call them non-ideal customers. You know, I use that ideal customer archetype, which just, you know, to give you a real brief definition of what that is, is, you know, you build your brand as an organization. You build your brand for the customer who is most highly predictive of your success. You market to segments, but you build the brand for that one singular customer who's going to be the most profitable to serve, who's going to be the champion for your brand again and again and again, who is the most delightful and fits your organization the best. I, you know, being very, very opportunistic, I turned around and I looked, I'm like, oh, I have a bunch of clients who are just writing checks to me. I'm working really hard on those. It's not delightful. My employees are tearing out their hair and crying at their desks. We're losing money on those accounts. 
And, you know, that's when I was like, all right, now is the time for us to like really dig in and, and refocus our energy on working on the clients and projects that are going to be most profitable for the organization. And doing that is hard. Like making those choices is really, really hard because then you like watch money go out the door, but then it brings more, it brings more focus, right? The first time you had to do that, was it just like swallow your tongue and say it and go and say no to a client? Like I can imagine there are some people who are listening who have clients who fall into that category of taking too much energy, not joyful in the delivery, eating up our profits. We need to get rid of them. And they're scared to death to actually get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it, it, it's really hard. And when, when I work with clients, this is, I'll, I'll tell you like 50% of the work we do is about the, the 70% of the clients that these companies are working with that they shouldn't be working with. Right. It's hard to let that go because they're paying the bills, they're keeping the lights on, but they, you know, your positioning as your positioning as an organization is largely defined by the clients you serve, right? And, and the sandbox that you play in. And so if you want to change the people you're around, change the people you're around, right? And it's, um, but, you know, going back to your original question, like, do we work with entrepreneurs who are, are you know, holding fast and tight to, you know, the, the clients that they think are ideal for them or the, or the products that they're selling that they're just in love with or the sacred cows of their processes and, you know, sacred cows of the people who are inside the business who are maybe not moving the business forward, all that kind of stuff. It's so hard to let that stuff go. It really is. It is. And yet it's so freeing when you do. <laughs> right? It's, it's freeing and it's really scary, especially if it represents like a large amount of revenue. One of the things that we do with our clients is we kind of help them with a process of, all right, here's the timeline and the roadmap for you to reinvent yourself as an organization. You know, here's your new branding and your messaging. And here's, you know, here's how you bridge the gap between your current clients and where you're going and how you can phase phase those clients ultimately into other types of relationships. Or, I mean, it is possible to take some of those clients that aren't ideal and turn them into ideal clients. You know, it's possible to, to train customers to be your best customers. And, you know, that's a lot of the work that we do in my core business. So now just uh, in terms of wrapping up, I want to, first of all, let ask you to tell people where to get you but, or to reach you. But more, first of all, talk about you have a big workshop coming up. Now, depending on when people are listening to this, they may miss the eight-hour brand experience. Is that something you do ongoing or is that something if they missed it and they listened too late, they're going to miss it? So we, we did it on June, when June 28th was the last time we offered a public session of this. There will be others coming up. Um, my plan is to do this like about quarterly and I'm trying to pick and choose the right cities to do it in. Um, so if people are interested in getting the strategic underpinnings of their brand done in one eight hour day, um, just come in, get in, get out, you know, be brief, be brilliant, be done is my theory on this. If they're interested in it, you can go to the website eight hour brand.com and it's eight, the number eight, eight hour brand.com. Um, there's information about the workshop. We also deliver these custom on site for companies, or if you're an entrepreneur and you want to grab two other companies who are, who are not maybe in your same space, but in your same city and you want to invite us to come in and do this, it's another option to do it. So, um, the most recent one has already passed. However, 
Um, we have others up and coming, and that's a really good way to get a hold of us is via 8hourbrand.com. Also, if you want to try to DIY it and you want to just like try to go through the process of, of creating the strategic foundation for your brand, that branding is sex book with the cheeky title has really serious business content in it. And it's a how to book. It really discusses like this is actually how to go through the process of creating your branding. Um, and I recommend that you can buy that any place where books are sold and it's called branding is sex. Get your customer laid and sell the hell out of anything. I hate saying all these dirty words on your show. Oh no, um, that's all right. Mine, I'm explicit here on this, uh, this podcast. <laughs> you're you're explicit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I swear like a truck driver. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, mom and dad. Um, and then, you know, the other way to get a hold of us obviously is directly through the company, which is Soul Marketing, S-O-L, like the sun in Spanish. And some other time you'll have to have me on to tell the resiliency story behind the name Soul. Oh, I love it. Look at that. A teaser for another show. I know. Another it's an, show. And, an awesome uh, story. Well, that'll be awesome. And we will, for sure, we'll put all of your links to your social media and your website op options uh, in our show notes. So please, if you're listening and you love this and you want to connect with Deb, again, please go and support her on the social media. If you know another entrepreneur or person who has gone through tough times and they need to hear this, please share this episode with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you're open to it, I would absolutely love it if you would leave a review because that's how other people find this podcast. So you can uh, always connect with me at r-ninja.com and you can get all the information to connect with Deb Gabor as well. Thanks so much for being here. And until next time, embrace your inner resiliency ninja. Thank you for tuning in to Resiliency Ninja with Allison Graham. We are thrilled to have you as part of our community. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always connect with Allison at r-ninja.com and find important links to show notes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, embrace whatever obstacles come your way. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.